So what exactly should you write in your bios, overviews, and resumes to convince potential clients or employers that you are a developer worth hiring? Now, I imagine that that's a question that a lot of developers have trouble with and struggle with and worry about. Maybe even you, perhaps. Fortunately, there, as the saying goes, there's nothing new under the sun, and people have been studying this kind of thing for millennia. And there are simple and easy answers out there to be had. So today I'm going to take you inside one of those. And it's Aristotle's model of communication. And it is the earliest of those such models. And the one that's the most widely accepted and and, and used. And it's been used by people like, say, Alexander the Great to start wars, to motivate armies, to conquer other lands, rally the populace, and more. And we know this very specifically, uh, these techniques were used. So I think that maybe we could use those same techniques to pick up a few clients here and there. Anyway, that's what I'm going to get into inside of this episode. There's a lot of developers who have a lot of opinions about what you need to do this coding thing for a living and be good at it. But I often find that their opinions tend to be better for them than they are for you. That's part of the reason why I created this podcast. To cut through the crap and give it to you straight. You won't always like me. You won't always agree with me. But I will tell you the truth. I'm John Morris and welcome to The John Morris Show. Now let's quit the yakking and get to it. Hey there, John Morris here, johnmorrisonline.com. Welcome back to another episode of The John Morris Show. As I said, we're going to be getting into Aristotle's model of communication and talking about how to use that and it's it's very much a persuasive model. We're going to be talking about how to use that in order to convince clients or potential employers that you are a developer worth hiring. And it's important to note that unlike a lot of theories of communication, th- uh, communication was one of the things that I, I studied in college. I was a double major back then. And uh, unlike a lot of theories of communication, it is not an interpersonal communication theory, meaning it's not a theory uh, talking about how two people interact with one another. His was very much more of an oratory type theory, and it was it was really aimed at speeches and things like that. And that's especially important when we're talking about bios and overviews and resumes and so forth. Because really, in a way, what you're doing when you write a bio or an overview or anything like that is you're kind of giving a speech. Now, it's written, right? You're not actually standing in front of the audience, but you're not really having a one-on-one interaction. You're more saying something, and you kind of have to map out and predict beforehand how lots of different people might react to it. You don't get that one-on-one feedback like you do talking to somebody in person. And that's important because I know for me in particular, 
I kind of mentioned this in in yesterday's episode, when I went from face-to-face sales to doing the more online thing, that was one of the things that really threw me for a loop. I was used to that sort of instant feedback, and I've always been just really good at kind of reading people, and that's what part of what allowed me to to be a good uh, salesperson was just that ability to read people. When you go online and you're just writing something down, you don't have any of that, and so this model is going to help you to be able to deal with that. So that's what we're going to get into today. Before I do that, uh, I noticed quite a few people actually yesterday were interested in and took me up on the bundle that I had mentioned yesterday. So I thought I would mention again here today in case you uh, missed yesterday's episode. But the bundle is all five of my flagship courses. So PHP 101, Upwork 101, Responsive Web Design 101, uh, Spammer's Guide to Get Clients, and the No BS Guide to Get More Done. All five of those courses. Normally, if you got bought those individually, it'd be $105 total, but you can get the bundle for just $49. So that's $56, off, $56 off the regular cost. So if that sounds intriguing to you, you can head over to store.johnmorrisonline.com. There'll be kind of a banner right at the top talking about that bundle. You just click on that. And that'll take you to the info page, and that's where you can get all of the info uh, about that bundle. Now, obviously, that'll allow you to get some some training, some coding training, some get client training that you might need uh, in order to help you down your career path. And also, you would be helping me to continue to do this kind of thing for you as well. So I would appreciate you grabbing a copy. Again, that's store.johnmorrisonline.com. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into this. So as always, I want to kind of talk about how I came across this. So uh, it might not seem like it, being that I have a YouTube channel and a podcast and do all of this stuff now, but naturally, I am an introvert. And as I said yesterday, I'm a little bit more of a linear thinker. So I tend to default to logic and process and procedure and that sort of thing when it comes to any sort of activity or problem that I'm I'm kind of faced with. And I also am not someone who's just going to be naturally outgoing and and talking to people and friendly and that sort of thing. That's just not my personality. Uh and so and, and I'm not ne- really necessarily overly aggressive in trying to persuade people of other things and my ideas. I may seem like that here, but in this particular context, that that's kind of what I do. But in day-to-day life, that's I actually spend a lot of days where I don't say much actually out loud outside of doing this podcast. I, I just am kind of a quiet person in that sense. What I'm ultimately getting at is all of those things added up are not the things that you would think of when you think of someone as a natural salesperson, right? So not realizing any of this at a at a young age, my early 20s, I just I decided to take a job in sales and I, I just hadn't really thought of the, any of this through. I didn't it wasn't something that I <laughs> really was well thought out, but I, I decided to take this job and I kind of got thrown into the deep end of this whole persuasive thing. And became apparent pretty quickly that this was a new thing, that this was not something that I was used to, is not something that I was naturally good at. Um, but it actually was something that that I enjoyed, and so I wanted to to try to get good at. It became really became a a project for me. I I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. When I try something and I'm not 
just naturally good at it. It's like, oh, okay. And it, it almost is like a challenge that I have to now overcome. And that's kind of what it became like for me. And so when I started trying to figure it out, I kind of started trying to logic my way through it. That's just kind of my default. That's my heuristic sort of way of, of thinking. And again, it became pr- quick, uh, clear pretty quickly that that wasn't going to work, that I couldn't logic my way to a sale with people, that it was more of an emotional process. And I kind of had to figure out how to to work all of this out. And so when that happened, I did what any sort of logical linear thinker did. And I sought out more information, more information. I can figure this out. I can and come up with a solution. And one of the things that I came across was Aristotle's theories. He has multiple, really. But I came across his theories on communication and persuasion. And the thing that's really nice about Aristotle that I think if you're like me, the more the linear thinker that you'll you'll like about this, that will appeal to you about this, is that I think it's pretty clear that Aristotle himself was a linear thinker. If you look at all of his models, they're very logical, they're very linear, they're very sequential, they're very process and procedure oriented. And so it fit it fit perfect into my thinking. And in particular, his model of communication really spoke to me um, because it felt like I could construct a kind of roadmap, right? I could sit down beforehand and I could analyze and I could logic and think through things. All things that I was naturally good at, I could do that kind of beforehand and kind of create this roadmap that then when I was actually in the moment, I wasn't having, I, I didn't need to try and figure things out on the fly. I could just apply the roadmap that I had already laid out and then see how it went. And then I could kind of go back to the lab, so to speak, at night and analyze, okay, what worked, what didn't work, and kind of more fully develop this roadmap till I got to a point where I kind of, okay, I know what I need to do here now. I know how I need um, to, to, to convince people. And it gave me some sense of process, of some order and some stability to what I was doing and just having a sense of even knowing what the hell I was trying to do, what, what my objectives were and so forth. So it really, really appealed to me and, and uh, ultimately because of that had some pretty good success with it. So you know, I ended up becoming one of the top salespeople in that store. I was promoted to manage my own store. I went through what was supposed to be an 18-month training program and I actually completed it and got promoted in about nine months. Um, and in that new store, I was taking over a store that had not, had been struggling. So I was able to completely turn around that store in about two months. Uh, I was the number three selling manager in the chain of about 90 stores, and I was in the 32 uh, 32 rank store overall. So th- the stores would be in, some would be in really big towns, some would be in small towns, and that kind of affected your overall sales. So I was in the 32nd rank store, but I was the number three selling manager. So I was selling way above what uh, I really should have been. Um, now I ended up leaving that job. And I've kind of talked about this before, but that was for other reasons. That was for my own reasons, not because I wasn't performing. I certainly didn't get fired or anything like that. And there were other things that I learned along the way that helped. And I I think I've talked about some before, and I'll probably talk about other things in the future. But this is probably the one that helped me the most because it gave me that sort of logical framework. So what I believe, you know, when 
when you learn this here today, and I, I re- highly recommend if you're not doing this, taking out a, a some notes or a piece of paper and, and taking notes on this because this really can change the the way you go about getting clients and getting work and give you a sort of framework there. So, but when when you learn this stuff and 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 start using it and applying it. I think what it's going to give you is that same kind of roadmap, a way to analyze every persuasive scenario you encounter. I mean, we're talking about bios and profiles here, but it could be anything. Maybe someday it's you have to give a speech, or maybe it's you're going to do a video, or you start your own podcast, or you're just talking to someone uh, in person. It's going to give you a way to map that out beforehand and apply some logical rules and principles to it. So that, uh, again, going into it, you have a plan and you can just systematically apply it. You're not trying to figure it out on the fly. And you don't need gut instinct. You don't need to be a natural salesperson. Um, And because you're doing it consciously and methodically, this is one of the things that I noticed. Because one of the other guys that I was in training with was a guy that I would say is more of the natural sales type. And at first, he was killing me in sales. But by the end, he would have really up weeks and then really down weeks. And I would be a lot more consistent week after week after week. And we would be pretty close, but I, I usually would, uh, on the average, come out ahead of him. And, and again, was just a lot more consistent because it wasn't based off of how I felt, what mood I was in. It wasn't based off getting in the flow. It was just a systematic, linear process that I could apply no matter what the situation, how I felt. And I, again, for you, I think that's something that uh, you'll be able to to figure out, map out, and be able to apply over and over and over again and have that consistency. So with that said, let's get into uh, the science behind all of this. So first, I want to start with uh, some of the kind of the big concepts, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of this. So as I mentioned, this was proposed by Aristotle. It was proposed before 300 BC, so it's been around for a really long time. It's considered the first model of communication ever and the the, the most widely accepted among all, uh, all communication models. And again, used by Alexander the Great and, uh, you know, had the, 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 the largest reach of uh, the Roman Empire under uh, his... his uh, uh, when he was emperor or whatever. So um, used it to devastating effect. And what Aristotle said is that he believed that the audience, this was one of the things that was unique, at least at that time, about um, what he said, is that he believed the audience itself played an important role in the communication chain, uh, in the communication chain and speakers should build different speeches for different uh, audiences on different occasions to uh, create different effects, and so he really kind of took the whole the whole model of the speaker giving the speech and kind of flipped it around and said, "Okay, you have to think about the audience first. You have to think about the occasion that it's uh, it's happening on, the effects that you want to achieve, and all of that factors into your speech." Now, that might seem like kind of common sense now, but back then, not so much. And it, it really uh, had a huge effect. And so in persuasive speech, what, what Aristotle said is that you must first analyze your audience and determine how to best influence and then persuade that particular audience and that particular occasion 
to create the effect that you want to your thoughts, your ideas, and ultimately get get what you want from from that particular speech. So in that, every speech, and I'm using speech loosely here, we're talking about, in our case, profiles and bios and so forth. And in his case, he was talking about speeches, but every speech has five elements to it. So the first one is the speaker. Now the speaker is the primary one and the most important one because it's the only active one really the, the in a speech in in, the, in this sense the the speaker is the only one that's really uh, actively doing anything the audience for the most part is kind of sitting there listening so uh, when we're talking about the speech we're obviously talking about who is giving the speech and one of the most important things is how is the speaker already perceived by the audience does the audience know the speaker what are their preconceived notions about that particular speaker? Are there any negative notions that must be uh, dealt with before you can even get into persuading them? Are there any positive uh, notions that can be leveraged to their advantage? So these are some of the things that you have to think about before you sit down to actually write down your bio. What what does this particular audience know about me? Do they know anything? Do they have uh, any preconceived notions about me? Uh, do they have any preconceived notions about any groups that I belong to? Do, for example, me as just a developer. Do, does this audience have any preconceived notions about developers in general? I have to. Are any of those negative preconceived notions? Because I have to deal and dispense with those before I can ever get into uh, getting persuasive with them. I mean, I can't talk to them about hiring me and all this sort of thing if they have this preconceived notion that all developers are slimy scam artists uh, that are just there to take advantage of clients. I have to deal with that first before I can do anything else. So you have to go through and analyze and and, and look at these things and uh, try to figure out where the audience, what how they perceive you already as the speaker. So that's the first element. The second element is the obvious part, which is the speech. So that's the actual words that are used. And um, Aristotle called the study of persu- of oral persuasion, he called it rhetoric, and said that the speech's entire purpose is to, in- to create the intended effect on that audience on that occasion. So there's nothing else that your speech is to be written for other than whatever the intended effect that you have already laid out is. Now, when it comes to the actual speech, he kind of broke this down into three things. He called them ethos, logos, and pathos. So ethos is related to the word ethics, and it speaks to the speaker's credibility. So that we kind of mentioned this when we are talking about this, the speaker, the first element, but what is the speaker's credibility in this situation? Do they have any? Do they have negative credibility? Do they have positive credibility? Um, you need to establish that credibility right off the bat. That is why one of the things that I recommend you write first in your bios and such is establishing proof. You have to do that before you can do anything else because you can lay out all the logic um, and, and emotional cases in the world, but if they don't believe you, it's not going to matter. So again, you have to just deal with uh ethos right off the bat. Next is pathos. So this is related to emotions and it deals with the emotional bond that's created. And it really comes down to, does the topic matter to the audience? What is their emotional investment in it? And if there isn't 
any sort of obvious one, then you need to create that. You need to make that connection for them. So if you're a, you know, a leader of an army and you're standing in the middle of a field across from your enemy about to go into battle, the speech that you're about to give, why it matters to those that particular audience is somewhat obvious, and you don't necessarily have to spend a ton of time on that, okay? Depending on their attitude and if they're like gung-ho to go to this fight or not. But that in that particular scenario, you know, you don't have to necessarily worry so much about the pathos of it. But if you are a speaker that's going to, say, a college campus and you have a room full of kids that have been forced to come in and sit and listen to this speech and half of them don't even want to be there, the very first thing that you need to do is give them some reason why they should even listen to you, why they should even care about what you're about to say. Because it's if you don't, they're not going to. So this is what you're doing when you're thinking about pathos. And then the final thing is logos, which is related to logic. So you do have to make a logical case. You have to, what you're saying has to make sense. It has to be understandable. So again, when it comes to the speech, uh, uh, ethos, logos, and uh, pathos are the things that you want to focus on in, in how you can construct that speech in a very systematic way in order to appeal to that particular audience. And again, it's all going to be based off of who the audience is, who you are, what the occasion is, etc. Okay, the the next one then in all of this, so we have we have speaker, we have speech, now we have occasion. So this is the when, the where, the why uh this of the speech being given. So the way I would put this, the analogy I would use is imagine you have two speeches. One is given to the exact same group of soldiers by the exact same speaker with the exact same intent or the exact same uh, effect that it's after. And that effect is to motivate them to fight, to, to, to engage in some sort of battle. But one of those speeches was given back on the base in peacetime right after morning PT. And the other speech was given as they stood across the field from the enemy about to go into battle. Would that, those two different scenarios, would the speeches you give be different? Oh, obviously, I think it's obvious that the, the, those would. That's how occasion affects the speech. So you have to think about the situation you're in, the, the context in which you're giving this speech, or writing the bio, writing the resume, etc. You have to think about that context and how it affects what you need to say in order to have the persuasive effect that you're after. The next thing then is the audience. So who are the people actually listening or reading the speech? So what do we know about them? What are their motivations, their desires, any sort of kind of logical inconsistencies that they might have, their values, their beliefs? What do we need to say to these particular people in order to persuade them? Now, one of the things that Aristotle said, it's not necessarily in this model, but it was in one of his other theories, is you don't want to try and change what he called the core elements. And so that is people's deeply held values, their beliefs, desires, etc. You don't want to try and change what they believe or what they value. Instead, what you want to show them is how your idea, your 
thoughts, your way of doing things is going to help them get those core elements that they want, but in a way that's better or faster or more abundantly. Okay, so you're not trying to change core beliefs and core values. All you're trying to do is show how your way of doing things well, is a better way for them to get the same core values that they want. Now, that's a really, <laughs> if you want to take one thing from all of this, that's a really critical thing to understand is you're not trying to change what people believe. You're just trying to show them that you have a better way to get what they already want. That is a fundamental principle of of sales is you have to sell people stuff that they already want. Now, again, that doesn't mean the actual item. It means the 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 end result of that item. And so you can show them how to do that in a number of different ways. So again, don't try and change their core elements. Show them how your way will help them get those core elements in a better way. Finally, then, the the last part of this is the effect. So what is the goal of the speech? What do you want to achieve? And what is the logic behind this effect? Why why does this effect make sense? Why is it something that is of worth uh, worth worth them actually allowing you or or going into with you, etc.? What what what's the logic behind it? And how does it connect with the core elements of the audience? And why does why must it be done now? Why can't one of the things that you always have to deal with in sales is People just putting things off, procrastination. So why must it be done now versus, oh, we can just do this later? So those are the five elements. Again, speaker, speech, occasion, audience, and effect. So let me run through some examples. Now, the classic example that you'll see over and over and over is, um, so the speaker would be Alexander. The speech would be about his invasion. Uh, the occasion would be on the war field. The audience is the soldiers, and the effect is to defeat Persia. Okay, so that's kind of the classic example. And when you you write all those things down, then now you have a starting point for where you can start to think about how to construct your persuasive uh, model here. So I know who the speaker is. I know what the speech is supposed to be about. I know where I'm going to be giving it, who I'm going to be giving it to, and what I want to convince them of. You know, have a logical process that you can start to go through to analyze this. This is very much an analytical tool. So to give you another example related to what we do, you, you the speaker might be, we'll just say, John Doe developer. You could insert your name in there. The speech would be maybe a bio on, say, Upwork about your freelance services. The occasion would be, the the freelance profile on Upwork, the audience would be potential clients, and the effect would be to get them to hire you as a developer. So again, that's the that's just the starting point, and then you can go into asking all of the questions that we've kind of gone through before. So, as I kind of normally say at this point, I've I've thrown a lot at you, but I want to now pull it back and give you some takeaways of specific things that you can do based on all of this. To, to help you be more effective in writing bios, writing overviews, writing resumes, anything that you need to do where you're trying to communicate to any other human being why you are a developer worthy of them hiring, working with, etc. Any sort of a uh, situation like that is a persuasive situation, and these are some things that you can do to help that ultimately go better for you. So the first one is... 
I think the obvious one, which is the kind of the implied one here before writing any sort of persuasive material, don't just go in and wing it. Don't just like, Oh, I'm just going to kind of write whatever feels good or whatever. Have a, a roadmap. Take, use this analytical tool to actually map all of this out and get clear on each element and all of the little nuances and questions and things that you need to figure out about each element uh, in order to develop this roadmap. So basically, tip number one is actually use this and do it. Don't just try to shoot from the hip um, because this model has been around for millennia. It's been used over and over and over and over and over again. There's no use in reinventing the wheel or just kind of flying willy-nilly when you have a roadmap that you know will work. The second thing is, I think the probably the most important thing outside of just using it is to get super clear on the core elements. This is one of the things that really stuck with me and made a huge difference for me is understanding that I'm not trying to change their core beliefs or co their core values. That sort of thing is very, very difficult to do and happens over you know years and years and years. People rarely change their core beliefs or values. It happens, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one speech. So you're not trying to do that. All you're trying to do is show them that your way is a better way of getting what they want. So get really clear on their those core uh, core elements. What what are their values, their beliefs, desires? What is it that they ultimately want out of this situation? And you don't want to guess. You want to know. And the way that you can know is if you're on a freelance site and you're going to go bid on a job that's been posted, you read thoroughly through the 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 job description that they've written and don't just read it really quickly to get an idea of what they want try to look for indicators of values of beliefs of things that are important to them deeper held uh, core elements that you can use when now responding to that or if that's not the case you're just writing your kind of bio in general go through and read a bunch of different job descriptions from clients who want similar services to what you're going to offer. So don't just read one, read 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or whatever. And as you do, you'll start to see some sort of trends develop and you'll start to identify kind of core elements that a lot of potential clients tend to want. And that's going to give you some, some insight into what it is that they really want. But keep in mind, these are the, when we talk about, uh, ethos, pathos, and logos. These are this is the pathos. These are the the emotions that you need to stir in potential clients to get them to hire you. And buying is primarily an emotional process. You need to have some logic there, but it is primarily an emotional process. We buy things because we feel like buying them, not because we've logically deduced that this is the most optimal solution at this particular time. We like to think that's what we do, but it's it's really not. We buy based off of emotion. So you need to understand the emotions that you need to deal that you're dealing with before writing any of this stuff. Otherwise, you don't know how to sell to them emotionally. So get really super clear on those core elements. Finally, then once you've done that, ultimately what the persuasive process is is you understanding those core elements and you building a logical case from those core elements to what the effect that you want them to take. So why should they do this 
in order to get this stuff over here that they want. That's how you persuade them. That's the roadmap. And so you need to lay that, you actually need to think that through and lay that out. And it needs to make sense to you. Okay. If you, if you're sitting there struggling, trying to figure out how to persuade someone and you're trying to lay out this logic and it doesn't make sense to you, you're thinking to yourself, well, if I were them, I would never do this. You're never going to be able to convince them that they should do it. If you see it, they're definitely going to see it. So you have to go over it and over it and through it and through it uh, until you figure out what that logical connection is. And maybe it, it's a matter of you need to tweak the effect that you want or how you're going about doing it or whatever. So again, you need to, it has to make sense to you and you have to go over and over and over it until you actually believe it, until it becomes so simple and obvious to you that when you're trying to explain it to people, you're like, you're almost like, it's so obvious. It's so simple. This is exactly why, right? That's the kind of mentality you want to be in because you've thought the logic through so well that it's just like, it seems like a no brainer to you. Like, why wouldn't you do this? If you are at that point, then you're in the right position to be able to speak and communicate a persuasive message to the particular audience that you happen to be talking to. And you're, so you're in a lot better spot for being able to persuade people. So again, lay out that logical path. That's what, again, that is the, pers- that is the whole thing is their core elements the effect you want, what's the logical path there? And then and then you build that, and that's the case that you make in your speech, your bio, your resume, whatever. All right. So again, I've thrown a lot at you, but uh uh again, if you need to go back through that, hopefully you're taking notes, writing some of this stuff down, um, and and have a good clear picture on what you need to do in order to be more su- persuasive uh in everything that you do. So that's it for this episode. If you liked the episode, be sure to like it. Uh, if you want to see the past episodes, you can go to johnmorrisshow.com. All the past episodes, all the subscribe links for iTunes, Android, all that sort of thing uh, is over there. Also, if you like this episode, like the show, I'd appreciate it if you would rate and review it over on iTunes. You can go direct to johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes and do that. Or you can go to johnmorrisshow.com and click on the start here link if you want to get module one of my PHP 101 course. So I will give you module one of my PHP 101 course if you'll give me an honest review over on iTunes. So if you want to do that, again, johnmorrisshow.com and then click on the start here link. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening and watching. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time.